Hi there, and welcome to Vet Chat, a new podcast for the veterinary profession brought to you by the Webinar Vet. We're going to discuss all things from clinical cases to hot topical debates. I'm your host, Ben Sweeney, and for the first time in my life over the episodes ahead of us, I'm aiming to listen more than I talk, and I can't wait for you to join me for the adventure. Hi everyone, on today's episode of Vet Chat, I'm joined by Susie Samuel, who is the founder of Vet Digital and Vet Health Direct. And I think it's safe to say that Susie is to veterinary digital marketing what Cornish pasties are to Cornwall. She has got a wealth of knowledge in this sphere and has really driven that digital revolution within veterinary practices to try and improve that relationship with pet owners and to improve the experience for them. And as a result, really look to benefit the reputations of the practices that she works with with their clientele and attract new clients. Susie's funniest story she reckons from practice I am told on good authority that this is the only one that's clean enough to be told on on a podcast is that she was once looking to clip the nails of an African grey parrot and as she goes to clip the first one the parrot looks at her and says ouch. Fortunately she got through the rest of the nail clipping and they parted on good terms without any quicks having been cut. So Susie, thank you so much for joining me. Obviously, I mean, this is a topic that I love at the best of times anyway, um, but it's great to chat to someone who is, you know, uh, a proper expert in the field. So what what kind of what drew you to that 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 sort of digital sphere and space in the first place thank you so much ben for having me it's such a pleasure to be here i'm not really 100% sure what drew me to the digital space particularly other than that i had the idea for the symptom checker i just noticed over my time in practice people coming in and just feeling very anxious and unsure about whether they were wasting up my time and then at the other end of the spectrum people coming in um, and just leaving it far too late and coming in when their pets were actually really sick and that feeling of frustration that it would have been so much better and more effective to help them earlier on in the process. So I had the idea for the symptom checkup and having sort of turned it over in my head for a few years I realised that it was actually a reasonable idea and and that's when I started just learning about the internet, learning about tech and digital and just immersing myself in that and I just absolutely loved it. Yeah and I think you know it's obviously it's something that is perceived as is very very new and exciting but actually it has been going a while and sort of when you first got involved with it what was it that you sort of what what was your aim to make a difference in when i first got involved my aim was very much to answer that very specific thing of helping people decide what to do with their pets when they were ill and they didn't know what to do and and just helping them to sort of understand when they needed to call a vet and trying to prevent them from putting it off too long and bring them in at the right time since then it's really evolved because I can just see the huge potential that the internet and digital has got to just educate people so effectively um, and on a scale that's just never been possible for the veterinary profession before. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you were saying you have over like, you know, 1 million independent visitors to the Vet Help Direct site every year now, which is from a standalone practice point of view, almost unfathomable. But you've obviously got this great opportunity to connect the practice to that end client as well. 
well. But, you know, why do you do that? What excites you about it? As a vet, I used to love trying to help people understand about their pet's needs um, and trying to explain things to them in a way that they could understand. And that's great and, it, and it's so effective. But you can only see them when they come in with their pets, you know, say at vaccination once a year or if they come in with a particular problem. The really exciting thing about digital is that you can actually be part of somebody's life you know, pretty much every day of the year. Some of the practices that we work with that on Facebook, they will be interacting with thousands of people every single day. So that ability to engage and, and show information in different ways, you know, when I was when you're consulting you can only speak whereas on the internet you can use graphics a lot more easily you can use video there's so many different ways to educate people and to help them understand the welfare needs of their pets you know as vets we see pets you know maybe sort of three or four times a year if we're lucky but the owners are with pets every single day of that pet's life and that's going to have the biggest impact on welfare yeah and i think you know there's something that when we look at the involvement of of the profession with our pet owners you know you look at this increasing reliance on on tech across various different professions but obviously we've got this kind of profession where the physical exam is always going to be necessary so do you see that digital space sort of being you know a big sort of competitor to practice or do you see it as something that you know practices can really utilize well that's a really interesting question and i think vet practices at the moment are really good at getting that instinct that when people need offline help with their pets there's that instant reflex that they call the vet but what's not necessarily a reflex is when people need help online to be able to contact their vet and i i think it's absolutely imperative that local vet practices provide that service people are so used to now being able to access services whenever they like very seamlessly and easily and they expect that in, in all aspects of their life so our clients are also consumers so they also buy things on Amazon they also have video consultations with their doctors so their expectations um, of what vets provide is changing all the time and that's shown really clearly in some of the research that we've done and obviously sort of you know many vet practices now look at things like their you know they outsource their out of hours and things like that because you know they don't have the staffing and the manning powers in order to be able to run a 24-hour service but it, are there ways that we can sort of put a, a step in the process to help practices because of course at the minute they go from one practice to another practice and then potentially back to that practice overnight but you know as, as someone's own practice do they need to look at how they offer 24-hour services but not necessarily a physical presence do you think that might have a future in the profession yeah absolutely I think this type of thing is important out of hours, even more so than any than at any other time of the day because of that lack of instant availability of, of your own vet to sort of maybe ring up and, and chat things through with. Um, so it's even more crucial then. And I think things providing things like live chat, symptom checkers, video consultation is absolutely crucial because it's, it's actually really inconvenient going into the vet practice. And so providing all those things, you're just reducing friction. And then that makes it more likely that people will access veterinary services once clients are using these tools like symptom checkers, live chat, video consultations, you've then got the opportunity to really
really explain in a really convincing and personalized way why they need physical veterinary care and to convince them to make that sort of slightly more higher energy input and actually physically take their pet to the vet. So I think that all these things only work alongside physical assessment, physical consultations and what they actually do in our experience in our sort of 13 years of helping vets on with a symptom checker on social media with live chat and, and Twitter and things like that is that they increase the number of people going to the vets. So we've been talking to pet owners, you know, as vet help direct for, as I say, for 13 years now. I would say that 95% of the questions that we get asked, we'll chat with the person about the question, we'll answer some of their as much as we possibly can, but then we'll be saying go to the vet. What we'll be providing is a bit of information around that, why they need to go to the vet, the time scale they need to go to the vet in, what they need to do to present when they present to the vet. Do they need to bring in a urine sample? Do they need to measure how much the water water the pet's drinking? But what we're always doing is telling them to go to the vet. And in all those 13 years, we've never once had somebody say to us, all you're trying to do is get us to go to the vet. These people that are going online using tools like this, they're not trying to avoid going to the vet. They're just doing that research step that they know what they need to do. And if they know they need to go into the vet and have a physical assessment, then they will do that. So the easier we make it people to access all these types of information in a way that suits them, the more likely they are ultimately to present to the vet. I do think there's also some consultations, like certain follow-up consultations, post-op consultations, where actually they can be done via video. So I remember mm. in practice, you know, sort of quite often really wanting to sort of see an owner again, you know, maybe in a week to catch up on how treatment's going, just check that the dog's sort of moving around normally and looking okay, but very aware that I'd actually need to physically get the pet into the vets especially if it was a sort of nervous cat um, and then booking a telephone call instead of a consultation so you know actually I think there's quite a lot of scope to use remote tools like that sort of after the physical assessment as well as before the physical assessment. Yeah I mean I dare say that most of us in companion animal practice have been in that situation where you've been doing the post-op check on the psychotic cat uh, <laughs> that you conduct from about 10 foot away and kind of go yes the sutures are still intact and I value having eight fingers and two thumbs <laughs> so i think yeah that's a, a definite one that you know we do look at and you think actually for that cat it's a much less stressful experience as well and i think obviously you know th this digital interface is great but are there any areas where as a profession we particularly maybe fail and fall short in terms of our digital adoption well you know the vets we work with i'm like really super impressed with them i think they're doing a great job as small businesses to keep up as much as they possibly can with technology and digital and and as a company that's purely focused on that, we can sort of help and assist them to do that. Um, you know, it's tough. It's difficult. Expectations are changing so incredibly fast. I think there are areas, you know, obviously that vet practices could improve on in, in general. And that's just when we compare the service that vet practices are providing compared to owner expectations. So, for example, we know from our research that more and more people would expect pretty much an instantaneous reply if they asked a question over social media. or And so providing something like live chat is going to accommodate that need for instant advice or the symptom check we know that 40% of people would like to have the opportunity to have video consultations with their own vet. Um, and obviously, that's not a widespread practice at the moment. Um, it's really interesting, just as an aside, um, that when we ask them if they'd like video consultations with a vet as a sort of general question um, or an organisation that they trusted, that went down to 7%. So this is not people wanting a different service to their own vet. It's simply that video is more convenient some of the time. OK, so and, and I think, you know, there is obviously 
you know, we're aware of that that loyalty across the profession and, and stuff as well. And I think, you know, that is, frankly, that's something to be celebrated, I think, the fact that, you know, you know we do have this this loyal client base. And in terms of, obviously, we see different people doing different things. There's that sort of option for a practice, really, isn't there, to sort of go, right, OK, we've got, you know, one of the one of the younger ones, and I sadly now can no longer class myself in that category, where we go, right, OK, this kid's a whiz kid when it comes to, like, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook and that sort of thing. And, you know, they're really good. Oh, my goodness, they've got 20,000 followers and things. Is there the argument to use that kind of skill set in the practice? And what's the benefits of sort of equipping yourself with those skills versus maybe using an agency to, to help you actually build that? You know, is, is there a difference between the two? Is there a, a better way of doing it for a practice? Well, Ben, you seem pretty young from where I'm sitting, just by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, absolutely. If you've got somebody like that in practice, use them as much as you possibly can. Um, whenever we, we obviously run a digital marketing agency purely uh, for the veterinary industry, and we would always prefer it if our client have uh, do as much as they can in-house supported by us because you when you're actually in the practice you can see everything that's coming through the door all the time so you can take brilliant photos you can make uh hear what people questions people are asking your team and um, so get a really local and detailed understanding of the sort of content that people are interested in as fortunately not all practices are lucky enough to have somebody like that and and perhaps even if they do their time is incredibly valuable perhaps as a vet and we all know how hard it can be to get hold of um, vets and veterinary nurses at the moment so agencies can fill in the gaps certainly in that respect but I think the other thing that we do as an agency that's probably quite valuable is work alongside people like that so we work alongside digital marketeers sometimes in practices um, and marketing managers and just providing a bit of support with strategy a support with paid ads which is quite a specialist skill and you can get a much bigger return on investment by um, running those ads um, sort of technically a best possible way just a bit of experience in creating landing pages measuring conversion all that type of stuff so our ideal situation is to be working alongside someone as you've just described and that's when we can get the best possible results for the practice and and obviously like you know there's all people who will have a little bash at these things and it's great and obviously you know we've, we have got an increasingly competitive veterinary market you know when you look at the number of thousands of practices that there are now compared to 20 years ago you know people are competing for for, for clients against you know the practice down the road and the practice around the corner but you know sort of what what mistakes do people maybe make or you know what have you seen people doing that have maybe been sort of damaging or, or non-supportive of their practice in trying to grow? I suppose the biggest thing that we see probably is just lack of input so um, you know practices thinking that they'll just do it themselves or they're maybe not getting that consistency um, not posting regularly enough each post you make on social media has pretty much got the same chance of being seen obviously depends a lot on what the post is so the more you post the more people you're going to reach people not using things like paid ads which you know really you just can't reach sort of a fraction of the people unless you're you're using paid ads and maybe just sort of taking a bit of a sort of do-it-yourself approach to websites and things like that so I mean one of the things we see that I personally find 
um, really uh, frustrating on behalf of the vet practices is that we go and talk to vets, independent sometimes vet practices. They're talking to us about their brand. They're talking to us about the staff that they've got, the team, how passionate they all are, how they all go above and beyond all the time, how much their clients love them, all the things that make their practice special and unique. And then you go onto the website um, and it just looks like a bland corporate <laughs> stock images. Just you couldn't like even if you were a detective, you couldn't tell any of the things that the vets are telling us from their website. So just making sure you sometimes need, I think, somebody with a bit of experience in graphic design, a bit of experience in brand um, to be able to get all those idiosyncrasies across. And funnily enough, actually doing it yourself can result in the opposite effect to it being yeah. a, a sort of, a, you know, really unique and uh, sort of really telling people about your practice so it's almost um, key to get that bit of personality of the practice exactly and we're seeing now you know the corporates have obviously got you know lots of really um, professional digital marketeers working in them and you know it, it's great because they're sort of pushing our profession forwards i think and the industry forwards and we're seeing like brilliant websites coming from some of the corporates and you go on a corporate website and it can they're very individual and quirky and then you go on to an actual independent vet practice website and it just looks bland and corporate and full of stock images so I think that's that's a bit of a a frustration for for me and something I'd really like to help vets improve on just giving a really fair reflection of themselves on their website yeah definitely and I think you know certainly we've we've all looked at the odd practices that are um yeah sort of look like from the dark ages on the basis of the websites for sure and then the practice is always just really amazing when you go yeah but again you sort of wonder actually you know you look at that practice and say well actually do they need to worry too much about their digital presence because maybe their their physical presence and their physical reputation is is so strong and and often that is the case but some we tend to see those practices when they start feeling the pressure from yeah. a competitor and and they just you know they often sort of say you know it's, it's just so annoying because we know that if you walk into our practice you know you get the best gold standard client experience you know you've got incredibly experienced team that have all been here for years and got all these extra qualifications and you go down the road and you know whatever they think of their competitor that's the opposite to them but you know at the end of the day people the general public can only make a judgment from really what they see on the website what they see on facebook and yes you've got word of mouth recommendations but unless you're using something reviews very actively and and pretty slickly people are not going to be able to tell that um, unless they happen to have bumped into somebody that's been to your practice and it's interesting you should touch on on reviews there that was something i was very keen to sort of pick your brains on really so this this sort of review culture that we've almost become a part of nowadays where you know you can review everything to you know your view from, from a bedroom in the morning or you know the chips that you've had with your dinner and and i think you know that's something that in a profession where mental health struggles are very much front and center at the moment, there's there's always a risk that you know these uh, you will you will get this negative review that pops up you know this one star and actually it turns out being somebody that's never even been to your practice potentially. Um, but these things can obviously have quite serious ramifications for people and the flip side of course is that seeing all of the five-star reviews can be really sort of uh, supportive to your team and really encouraging but if you're a team who are, are getting negative reviews what what can you do what can you 
you do about that? I think you've just made such an interesting point, Ben, because you've made it from the perspective of the staff and the practice and where you tend to think about it as a brand thing and, and new client acquisitions and things like that. But we you know reviews have got such a big impact on staff morale and it's yet another reason to get it right. In our experience, the more proactive practices are about getting reviews, the higher the average star rating and the reason for that is that if you don't have a proactive reputation management strategy and you just wait and see what happens people leave reviews that are feeling passionate about the service that you've provided now some of those will be passionately happy and passionately good but some of them will be passionately unhappy and all the people in the middle who've just come into your practice had a pretty normal experience that was really perfectly good and they quite liked it they're never going to bother to leave a review when they get home again it's only the passionate people that are so what we find is that if you just leave people to it those passionate two ends are overrepresented and the middle just generally happy majority are not represented properly so when people start being really proactive about reputation management they start emailing everybody that comes in um, asking for a review and that's when you start to see the average star rating go up Um, and of course then like you've just pointed out that's got repercussions for staff morale because yes you're unfortunately there's nothing you can do to avoid seeing negative reviews and however perfect the practice is they're always going to have a negative review somewhere but at least as a member of staff you're able to at least say to yourself when you've calmed down a little bit well look I've got 50 good reviews and one bad review and it's probably this person's problem not not the uh you know nothing that I did um I, I guess the other thing probably to think about just to give a really sort of balanced answer is that there's the getting of the reviews and then there's also the fact that it's important to remember that you're not really people can't really judge you on clinical standards so having really gold standard polished clinical standards top of the range and all the top of the range equipment um, is exactly what you should be doing as a good veterinary practice but on top of that you also need to have a really good client experience when people come into the practice. So things like answering the phone really well, making sure that the reception staff are trained and the reception um, is nice and, and the experience with the, in, the, in the veterinary consultation room is good. Um, and it's unfortunately all those non-clinical things that determine how people judge you as a veterinary practice. Yeah, somewhat ironic really sometimes, isn't it? Well, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, and are, are there any... Are there any big no-nos when it comes to like, you know, sort of digital marketing specifically in the veterinary sphere? Um, We've got a little kind of like campaign at the moment trying to just help people see images through pet owners' eyes. I think as vets and people in the veterinary industry, you can get very desensitized to um, veterinary type images. Um, And in that, I would sort of class things like dogs in in kennels and blood um, on swabs. Um, pictures of operating scenes you know and even dogs and cats under anesthetics I've I've got a little photo that I sometimes show people when I'm trying to explain this that's got a picture of a child a two-year-old child under anesthetic and all it's have got is an otoscope in its ear but it's anesthetized and I just say to people you know how does that photo make you feel and obviously you know as a parent myself it makes me feel horrible and then I show a sort of selection of pictures that I've got from vet practice websites where they're showing it maybe anesthetized animals or animals having procedures yeah, even just an injection and I'm trying to get just it's really good good idea to try and just see it as a pet owner and we all know that pet owners think of their pets as family so just do a little trick of just trying to think of the 
pet that's in the picture as a child and check that you're still happy with the picture um, before you put it on your website because you you really don't want to see anything on a website that makes you think I hope that never happens to my pet um, yeah. you want to have a really good feeling about the practice give people a good feeling about the practice and and their pets and that, that that's a really interesting point because I think you know do we are we you often see like the celebratory stories you know coming out from veterinary practices and stuff and you know we did this case and that was marvelous and so on and so forth you know there's a brilliant outcome but occasionally you do see these you know these cases about you know potentially say you know for those in the know that 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 10 year old pyometra that you know ends up actually unfortunately not making it because of that and is is there a a school of thought to think that actually you know using these negative stories in 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 our our sort of communications with clients by way of education is is that a useful tool or is that more of a hindrance do you think well that's a really interesting question to me it's probably more about how it's communicated so um if you're talking about um a case and you you're communicating with empathy so that means you're saying how you felt about it as the staff how the team felt about it how it made everybody in the building feel um and and what happened from an emotional point of view for the owners and the pet um then that can be okay to sell tell bad stories like that because it's true and it's real and it resonates with people when we're when we I mean it's a general point really for whether it's a good or a bad story is that we try we've been calling them case stories not case studies and because we're really trying to move people away from this all their like sort of years of veterinary training to give a case study with you know sort of uh, signalment um, <laughs> signs um, and move towards something that you, people you are interested in. You can tell me in. that Joe Public doesn't know what signalment means. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've watched the Super Vet, you'll see that 95% of the content is how was the owner feeling when it happened? Um, how did they think the pet was feeling? How did the owner feel when they went into the vet practice? How did they think the pet was feeling? What place does the pet occupy in their life? How did they get hold of the pet? How did they feel whilst the pet was in surgery? How did they feel when the pet came home? And how is the pet now behaving with its family and how does it live its life? And those are the things that people are interested in that people can engage emotionally with. Um, and even if you've got a very clinical point to make or an educational point, the most effective way to do it is by telling a story um, and not by um, giving it as a sort of scientific case study. Um, so that's so I, I, yeah, really interesting. And it's always difficult decision things like a sort of a death of an animal you know you don't want to um you know it, it's hard but i think if it's communicated in the right way um it can be okay yeah and i think you know one of the other things and all of this digital sphere developments generate is data and you know there's this phrase that you know data is king um but as a profession what can we what can we get out of that data and, and you know why does that help us um well that's really interesting so in terms of data you've got on your practice management system the breakdown of pets um the gender the breed and the age so that's really useful because you can segment your communications which means that instead of blasting everybody with the same newsletter um, for example by email um, you can make sure that cat owners only see stories about cats because 
cat owners have got no interest in stories about dogs. <laughs> Dog owners have maybe got slightly more interested in stories about cats, but but not that much more. And you can make sure that your geriatric, your owners of geriatric pets are getting information about um, geriatric um, topics and things that are really relevant to them, whilst your um, puppies and kitten owners are getting um, information that's relevant to them. Um, so, so that's really helpful. Um, beyond that, um, I think you can get a little bit caught up in just thinking from a digital marketing perspective. Um, you know, probably your biggest thing is is who's actually living locally who's a client who's not a client what pet do they own um you can target people by their own age and their own gender and things um but it doesn't tend to be massively relevant in in a small in a sort of local practice um scenario and i think you know i i just maintain that like it's such a such a cool and exciting sort of decade ahead of us uh, looking at how this can, you know, really work hand in hand with with the veterinary profession. But something I, I, I've noticed that you guys do, um, and obviously, you know, awards are uh, great, and they, you know, there's awards for all kinds of things now in life. But you, you're very keen to celebrate the practices that you work um, alongside. And what what's the thinking behind that? Well, I think what's always driven me is just knowing how. I mean, I've worked in lots of different veterinary practice. My husband was in the Navy, so we went all over the place. And every practice I've been into, the staff just have a genuine care for the animals that they're looking after. Um, and they go above and beyond every day in so many different ways. Um, and and I really think the service that you get from a veterinary practice is sort of head and shoulders above most other services that you can get. And I think just making sure that people, the public, are aware of that, because if we don't manage the reputation of veterinary practices in general, um, just like the, the reputation of an individual practice, you can end up with these very sort of vociferous one-off voices that are not representative um, of the general population um, being very negative about the profession. And, and I just think it's really important to highlight all the amazing stuff that vets are doing um, and in the long run that's going to be crucial for the health and welfare of animals because vets need to be a continual very central part of of a pet's life um, and if we're not pushing that message forwards and um, then there's a danger that they're sort of gradually getting eroded and sort of pushed to the side in, in other people's voices coming to the fore um, online. Well I think you know from my point of view obviously you know anyone who knows me knows that I'm, I'm a big fan of celebrating veterinary success and, and encouraging the veterinary team so I think anything that basically gives someone you know that that little bit of a pick me up is fantastic and I think you know especially when it's for a practice as a whole what a great great celebration of their achievements so I think probably just to, to wrap up Susie short of telling people that they should clearly all use vets digital and vet help direct what what three things can you know practice managers vets nurses people involved in practice day-to-day -day life what what three things could you give them to maybe take away that that might help them moving forwards great well I think number one at the moment really big topic for us is video I think it's a good time to start thinking about using video consultations in practice and um, how you could use those um, how it might work for you and your team because I think reducing friction like that making it easier for owners to access veterinary care is really important and is going to become more and more important over the coming years. Number two um, is make sure that your website reflects your brand in like the two seconds that you've got once someone's landed on your website so make sure that the photography is really good and, and please 
don't use stock photography please put that money into a professional photographer don't skimp on the professional photographer who's going to come to your practice and take some photos of your team your team interacting with animals your team interacting with each other and pets interacting with their owners and get those pictures all over your website um, so that you can show sort of straight away how good your practice is video is always also really useful and writing a brief so that the photographer knows what they're trying to achieve and and what they're trying to put across Um, and number three is probably just sort of thinking about the things that we most commonly see that are kind of easy wins is really to start thinking about using paid ads if you're not already using them both on um, Google and Facebook but in particular on Facebook um, we're seeing lots of practices now put very significant amounts of time and therefore money into Facebook Um, and if you're not using paid ads properly you're only going to be reaching a small percentage of the potential audience awesome well Susie thank you so much it's been boss to chat um like i i know well i know that i just get properly enthusiastic after these kind of conversations <laughs> so i'm going to let you go and enjoy the rest of the, your day but thank you so much and I, I hope people have taken something away from what you've had to say thanks so much ben thank you thanks for joining us for today's episode of vet chat if you've enjoyed listening to my dulcet scouse tones as i interview people much more intelligent than myself then please do click follow and join us for future episodes 